0: Letter twenty six of Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady Volume nine. This is a Librivox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LIBRIVOX. org recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady Volume nine by Samuel Richardson Letter twenty six. Colonel Morden to John Belford Esquire, Sunday night, september tenth. Dear Sir, according to my promise, I send you an account of matters here poor mrs norton was so very ill upon the road that slowly as the hearse moved and the chariot followed i was afraid we should not have got her to st albans we put up there as i had intended i was in hopes that she would have been better for the stop but i was forced to leave her behind me i ordered the maid-servant who were so considerately kind as to send down with her to be very careful of her and left the chariot to attend her she deserves all the regard that can be paid her not only upon my cousin's account but on her own she is an excellent woman when we were within five miles of harlowe place i put on a hard gallop i ordered the hearse to proceed more slowly still the cross-road we were in being rough and having more time before us than i wanted for i wished not the hearse to be in till near dusk i got to harlowe place about four o'clock you may believe i found a mournful house you desire me to be very minute at my entrance into the court they were all in motion every servant whom i saw had swelled eyes and looked with so much concern that at first i apprehended some new disaster had happened in the family mr john and mr Antony harlowe and mrs hervey were there they all helped on one another's grief as they had before done each other's hardness of heart my cousin james met me at the entrance of the hall his countenance expressed a fixed concern and he desired me to excuse his behaviour the last time i was there my cousin arabella came to me full of tears and grief o cousin said she hanging upon my arm i dare not ask you any questions about the approach of the hearse, I suppose she meant. I myself was full of grief, and without going further or speaking, sat down in the hall in the first chair. The brother sat on one hand of me, the sister on the other. Both were silent, the latter in tears. Mr. Anthony Harlow came to me soon after. His face was overspread with all the appearance of woe. He requested me to walk into the parlour, where, as he said, were all his fellow mourners. I attended him in. My cousins James and Arabella followed me a perfect concert of grief as i may say broke out the moment i entered the parlour my cousin harlowe the dear creature's father as soon as he saw me said o cousin cousin of all our family you are the only one who have nothing to reproach yourself with you are a happy man the poor mother bowing her head to me in speechless grief sat with her handkerchief held to her eyes with one hand the other hand was held by her sister hervey between both hers mrs hervey weeping upon it near the window sat mr john harlowe his face and his body turned from the sorrowing company his eyes red and swelled my cousin antony at his re-entering the parlour went towards mrs harlowe don't dear sister said he then towards my cousin harlowe don't dear brother don't thus give way and without being able to say another word went to a corner of the parlour and wanting himself the comfort he would fain have given sunk into a chair and audibly sobbed miss arabella followed her uncle antony as he walked in before me and seemed as if she would have spoken to the pierced mother some words of comfort but she was unable to utter them and got behind her mother's chair and inclining her face over it on the unhappy lady's shoulder seemed to claim the consolation that indulgent parent used but then was unable to afford her young mr harlowe with all his vehemence of spirit was now subdued his self-reproaching conscience no doubt was the cause of it and what sir must their thoughts be which at that moment in a manner deprive them of all motion and turn their speech into sighs and groans! How to be pitied, how greatly to be pitied, all of them! But how much to be cursed, that abhorred lovelace, who, as it seems, by arts uncommon, and a villainy without example, has been the sole author of a woe so complicated and extensive! God judge me as— But I stop. The man—the man, can I say—is your friend. He already suffers, you tell me, in his intellect. Restore him, Heaven, to that— if I find the matter come out, as I apprehend it will—indeed, her own hint of his usage of her, as in her will, is enough—nor think, my beloved cousin, thou darling of my heart, that thy gentle spirit, breathing charity and forgiveness to the vilest of men, shall avail him—but once more I stop. Forgive me, sir. Who could behold such a scene? Who could recollect it, in order to describe it, as minutely as you wish me to relate, how this unhappy family were affected on this sad occasion— every one of the mourners nearly related to himself and not to be exasperated against the author of all as i was the only person grieved as i was myself from whom any of them at that instant could derive comfort let us not said i my dear cousin approaching the inconsolable mother give way to a grief which however just can now avail us nothing we hurt ourselves and cannot recall the dear creature for whom we mourn nor would you wish it if you know with what assurance of eternal happiness she left the world she is happy madam depend upon it she is happy and comfort yourselves with that assurance o oh, cousin cousin cried the unhappy mother withdrawing her hand from that of her sister harvey and pressing mine with it you know not what a child i have lost then in a low voice and how lost that it is that makes the loss insupportable they all joined in a kind of melancholy chorus and each accused him and herself and some of them one another but the eyes of all in turn were cast upon my cousin James, as the person who had kept up the general resentment against so sweet a creature. While he was hardly able to bear his own remorse, nor Miss Harlowe hers, she breaking out into words, How tauntingly did I write to her! How barbarously did I insult her! Yet how patiently did she take it! Who would have thought that she had been so near her end! Oh, brother, brother, but for you! But for you! "'Double not upon me,' said he, "'my own woes. "'I have everything before me that has passed. "'I thought only to reclaim a dear creature that had erred. "'I intended not to break her tender heart. "'But it was the villainous lovelace who did that, not any of us. "'Yet, cousin, did she not attribute all to me? "'I fear she did. "'Tell me only, did she name me? "'Did she speak of me in her last hours? "'I hope she who could forgive the greatest villain on earth "'and plead that he may be safe from our vengeance, "'I hope she could forgive me.' she died blessing you all and justified rather than condemned your severity to her then they set up another general lamentation we see said her father enough we see in her heart piercing letters to us what a happy frame she was in a few days before her death but did it hold to the last had she no repinings had the dear child no heart-burnings none at all i never saw and never shall see so blessed a departure and no wonder for i never heard of such a preparation every hour, for weeks together, were taken up in it. Let this be our comfort. We need only to wish for so happy an end for ourselves, and for those who are nearest to our hearts. We may any of us be grieved for acts of unkindness to her, but had all happened that once she wished for, she could not have made a happier, perhaps not so happy, an end. Dear soul, and dear sweet soul, the father, uncle, sister, my cousin Harvey, cried out all at once, in accents of anguish inexpressibly affecting, "'We must for ever be disturbed for those acts of unkindness "'to so sweet a child,' cried the unhappy mother. "'Indeed, indeed!' softly to her sister Harvey. "'I have been too passive, much too passive in this case. The temporary quiet I have been so studious all my life to preserve "'has cost me everlasting disquiet.' "'There she stopped. "'Dear sister,' was all Mrs. Harvey could say, "'I have done but half my duty to the dearest and most meritorious of children,' "'resumed the sorrowing mother.' "'Nay, not half! How have we hardened our hearts against her?' Again her tears denied passage to her words. "'My dearest, dearest sister!' again was all Mrs. Harvey could say. "'Would to heaven!' proceeded, exclaiming the poor mother. "'I had but once seen her!' Then turning to my cousin James and his sister, "Oh, my son! Oh, my Arabella! If we were to receive as little mercy!' And there again she stopped, her tears interrupting her further speech, every one all the time remaining silent, their countenances showing a grief in their hearts too big for expression. Now you see, Mr. Belford, that my dearest cousin could be allowed all her merit. What a dreadful thing is after reflection upon a conduct so perverse and unnatural! Oh, this cursed friend of yours, Mr. Belford, this detested lovelace! To him, to him is owing! Pardon me, sir. I will lay down my pen till I have recovered my temper. One in the morning. In vain, sir, have I endeavoured to compose myself to rest. You wished me to be very particular, and I cannot help it. This melancholy subject fills my whole mind. I will proceed, though it be midnight. About six o'clock the hearse came to the outward gate. The parish church is at some distance, but the wind-setting fair. The afflicted family was struck, just before it came, into a fresh fit of grief, on hearing the funeral bell tolled in a very solemn manner a respect as it proved and as they all guessed paid to the memory of the dear deceased out of officious love as the hearse passed near the church judge when their grief was so great in expectation of it what it must be when it arrived a servant came in to acquaint us with what its lumbering heavy noise up the paved inner courtyard apprised us of before he spoke not he could not speak he looked bowed and withdrew i stepped out no one else could then stir her brother however soon followed me when i came to the door i beheld a sight very affecting you have heard sir how universally my dear cousin was beloved by the poor and middling sort especially no young lady was ever so much beloved and with reason she was the common patroness of all the honest poor in her neighbourhood it is natural for us in every deep and sincere grief to interest all we know in what is so concerning to ourselves the servants of the family it seems had told their friends and those theirs that though living their dear young lady could not be received nor looked upon her body was permitted to be brought home the space of time was so confined that those who knew when she died must easily guess near the time the hearse was to come a hearse passing through country villages and from london however slenderly attended for the chariot as i have said waited upon poor mrs norton takes every one's attention nor was it hard to guess whose this must be though not adorned by escutcheons when the cross-roads to Harlowe place were taken as soon as it came within six miles of it, so that the hearse and the solemn tolling of the bell had drawn together at least fifty, of the neighbouring men, women, and children, and some of good appearance, not a soul of them, it seems, with a dry eye, and each lamenting the death of this admired lady, who, as I am told, never stirred out, but somebody was the better for her. These, when the coffin was taken out of the hearse, crowding about it, hindered for a few moments its being carried in, the young people struggling who should bear it, and yet with respectful whisperings rather than clamorous contention a mark of veneration i had never before seen paid upon any occasion in all my travels from the underbred many from whom noise is generally inseparable in all their emulations at last six maidens were permitted to carry it in by the six handles the corpse was thus borne with the most solemn respect into the hall and placed for the present upon two stools there the plates and emblems and inscription set every one gazing upon it and admiring it the more when they were told that all was of her own ordering they wished to be permitted a sight of the corpse but rather mentioned this as their wish than as their hope when they had all satisfied their curiosity and remarked upon the emblems they dispersed with blessings upon her memory and with tears and lamentations pronouncing her to be happy and inferring were she not so what would become of them while others ran over with repetitions of the good she delighted to do nor were there wanting those among them who heaped curses upon the man who was the author of her fall the servants of the family then got about the coffin they could not before and that afforded a new scene of sorrow but a silent one for they spoke only by their eyes and by sighs looking upon the lid and upon one another by turns with hands lifted up the presence of their young master possibly might awe them and cause their grief to be expressed only in dumb-show as for mr james harlowe who accompanied me but withdrew when he saw the crowd he stood looking upon the lid when the people had left it with a fixed attention yet i dare say knew not a symbol or letter upon it at that moment had the question been asked him in a profound reverie he stood his arms folded his head on one side and marks of stupefaction imprinted upon every feature but when the corpse was carried into the lesser parlour adjoining to the hall which she used to call her parlour and put upon a table in the midst of the room and the father and mother the two uncles her aunt harvey and her sister came in joining her brother and me with trembling feet and eager woe the scene was still more affecting their sorrow was heightened no doubt by the remembrance of their unforgiving severity and now seen before them the receptacle that contained the glory of their family who so lately was driven thence by their indiscreet violence never never more to be restored to them no wonder that their grief was more than common grief they would have withheld the mother it seems from coming in but when they could not though undetermined before they all bore her company led on by an impulse they could not resist the poor lady but just cast her eye upon the coffin and then snatched it away retiring with passionate grief towards the window yet addressing herself with clasped hands as if to her beloved daughter o my child my child cried she thou pride of my hope why was i not permitted to speak pardon and peace to thee Oh, forgive thy cruel mother her son, his heart then softened, as his eyes showed, besought her to withdraw, and her woman looking in at that moment, he called her to assist him in conducting her lady into the middle parlour, and then returning, met his father going out of the door, who also had but just cast his eye on the coffin, and yielded to my entreaties to withdraw. His grief was too deep for utterance, till he saw his son coming in, and then fetching a heavy groan, Never, said he, was sorrow like my sorrow. O oh, son, son! in a reproaching accent, his face turned from him. I attended him through the middle parlour, endeavouring to console him. His lady was there in agonies. She took his eye, he made a motion towards her. Oh my dear, said he. But turning short, his eyes as full as his heart, he hastened through to the great parlour, and when there he desired me to leave him to himself. The uncles and sister looked and turned away very often upon the emblems in silent sorrow. Mrs. Harvey would have read to them the inscription, these words she did read, here the wicked ceased from troubling, but could read no further. Her tears fell in large drops upon the plate she was contemplating, and yet she was desirous of gratifying a curiosity that mingled impatience with her grief, because she could not gratify it, although she often wiped her eyes as they flowed. Judge you, Mr. Belford, for you have great humanity, how I must be affected. Yet was I forced to try to comfort them all. But here I will close this letter— in order to send it to you in the morning early. Nevertheless I will begin another, upon supposition that my doleful prolixity will be disagreeable to you. Indeed I am altogether indisposed for rest, as I have mentioned before, so can do nothing but write. I have also more melancholy scenes to paint. My pen, if I may say so, is untired. These scenes are fresh upon my memory, and I myself perhaps may owe to you the favour of a review of them, with such other papers as you shall think proper to oblige me with, when heavy grief has given way to milder melancholy. My servant, in his way to you with this letter, shall call at St. Albans upon the good woman, that he may inform you how she does. Miss Arabella asked me after her, when I withdrew to my chamber, to which she complacently accompanied me. She was much concerned at the bad way we left her in, and said her mother would be more so. No wonder that the dear departed, who foresaw the remorse that would fall to the lot of this unhappy family, when they came to have the news of her death confirmed to them, was so grieved for their apprehended grief, and endeavoured to comfort them by her posthumous letters. But it was still a greater generosity in her to try to excuse them to me, as she did when we were alone together, a few hours before she died, and to aggravate more than, as far as I can find, she ought to have done, the only error she was ever guilty of, the more freely, however, perhaps, exalted creature, that I might think the better of her friends, although at her own expense i am dear sir your faithful and obedient servant william morden end of letter 26